and welcome to the Westside Church's special Monday Morning Coffee Podcast. On this podcast, our preacher, Mark Roberts, will help you get your week started right with a look back at yesterday's sermon so that we can think through it further and better work the applications into our daily lives. Mark will then look forward into this week's Bible reading so that we can know what to expect and watch for. And he may have some extra bonus thoughts from time to time. So grab a cup of coffee as we start the week together on Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Monday Morning Coffee podcast for Monday, March the 7th. I'm Mark, and I do have a great cup of coffee. I've got some notes about our daily Bible reading, but I don't have any notes from yesterday's sermon because I did not preach yesterday at Westside. I'm in Sinton, Texas today. I'm involved in a gospel meeting with the church here in Sinton. We'll be here through Wednesday night, so can't give you any sermon notes. Let's go straight, talk about Bible reading. Let's get our Bibles open to Acts and see what's going on in the life of Paul. Let's get started. This week in our daily Bible reading, we are in a super important part of the book of Acts because it just triggers so much that goes on in the rest of our New Testament reading. This is a great place where we're spending the year with Paul and we start seeing how what Luke records in Acts meshes so well with what's going on in the epistles that Paul writes. Now, please remember, last week we read Acts 18, verses 12 to 28. That was Friday's reading. And there was a little bit of a misprint there. I don't know how you can have a little bit of a misprint. The reading in the schedule is through verse 23, but you need to make sure that you read verses 24 to 28. And mostly what you need to be sure of is that you realize we are back on a missionary journey. Paul is on the third missionary journey, beginning in Acts 18.23. He is on the road to Ephesus. That is where he wants to go. In Acts 18, verse 19, when he was in Ephesus, they begged him to stay. He couldn't stay. He said, I'm coming back, and that is exactly what's happening. So now, today's reading, Monday's reading, is Acts 19, 1-10. And there's two pieces to this. First, there is the disciples who don't know about the baptism of Jesus. And that is Acts 19, 1-7. And then there is this marvelous statement, verses 8, 9, and 10, about Paul's time in Ephesus. That's what the third missionary journey is all about. He goes back to Ephesus, and he has great success in Ephesus. But before we can talk about that, we have to talk about these guys who are disciples of John. It happened, Acts 19, 1, that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples. And I think the language here is accommodative. Paul thought that they were disciples. They actually are not disciples because they have not been baptized into Christ. This is the only time that we're going to have a rebaptism. I use that term accommodatively. Sometimes people get a little bit out of shape about that and say there's only one baptism. Well, actually, there's a bunch of baptisms that are mentioned in the New Testament. There's only one baptism that saves, of course. But if you've been baptized with John's baptism, and then you need to be baptized with Christ's baptism, in a sense, that's a second baptism. That's a re-baptism. And what triggers all of this and this understanding on Paul's part that something is seriously amiss is when he asks if you've heard about the Holy Spirit. 
And they say, we haven't even heard that there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. What do you mean? Did you receive the Holy Spirit, Acts 19.2? We have not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice everything comes to a stop right then. Paul says, if you don't even know about the Holy Spirit, how could you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Remember Acts 2.38? Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's two things you do. You repent and you're baptized. And there's two things you get. You get the forgiveness of your sins and you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. The fact that they don't know about the Spirit immediately causes Paul to realize something is seriously amiss here. He teaches them verses 4 and 5, and they are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Just want to emphasize the role of the Holy Spirit here. We talk a lot about the Holy Spirit as we're working through Acts because he's so front and center throughout the entire book. We talk some in Acts chapter 2 about the gift of the Holy Spirit. That may be the gift of salvation. It may, in fact, mean the Holy Spirit himself, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not a miraculous indwelling, but the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is, in fact, the gift of the Spirit. It's certainly not miraculous because Paul, verse 6, has to lay his hands on them, and then they're able to do tongue-speaking and prophesying the miraculous measures of the Holy Spirit. Then Luke gives us, verses 8, 9, and 10, a little summary statement of how things are in Ephesus and what Paul's modus operandi is. He comes, he enters the synagogue, he speaks there, and then when he can't speak in the synagogue anymore, he moves over to the school of Tyrannus. And uh, Tyrannus means uh, tyrant. Uh, so, boy, there's a great name for the principal of the school. Where do you go to school? Oh, I go to the tyrant school. And there is a manuscript variation in the Western text that indicates Paul was in the school from 11 a.m. to about 4 p.m. when a lot of people would have been taking a nap, would have been in uh, what I guess we'd call a siesta. Some have noticed that there have would be in Ephesus more people awake at 1 in the morning than awake at 1 in the afternoon. That's an interesting idea for New Testament times. But then we get the school of Tyrannus. He continued, now verse 10, for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is where Paul writes 1st and 2nd Corinthians from. This is approximately AD 55. You need to make a note outside of verse 10 in your Bible. Paul writes 1st Corinthians during this time. In fact, as we read the Corinthian epistles, Paul is talking about Ephesus a lot. For example, 2nd Corinthians chapter 1, there are several times that Paul visits Corinth from there. You need to look at your map. It's just right across the little sea there. He can just jump across and get over to Corinth. The Corinthians reply. They're able to send a letter back. Paul responds with another letter. Lots of Corinthian emphasis, Ephesus emphasis here in Acts and then in those epistles. So since we're putting together Paul's life from Acts and Paul's writings, guess where we're going tomorrow for Tuesday? That's right. On Tuesday, we'll be reading 1 Corinthians. I'll see you tomorrow. We'll be in the city of Corinth. Welcome to Tuesday's reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, and we are beginning Paul's epistle to the church in Corinth. Now, I was not here Sunday to introduce you to the city of Corinth, so let me give you a couple of notes here as we get ready to read in Corinthians. 
First, the establishment of that church is recorded in Acts chapter 18. So you may want to just flip your Bible over to Acts 18 and skim a little bit of that. Just take a little look at Paul. There's Aquila and Priscilla there in Acts 18.2, and there's some good things that happen there, and then there's some difficult things that happen there in Acts chapter 18. And Paul establishes that church, and that becomes an important congregation for Paul. There's some ups and downs there, but it is an important congregation because it's an important place on the map. It controls both the Aegean and Ionian Sea, the east-west crossing there, and it controls a north-south trade route. Corinth was a huge city. It was famous for being extremely immoral, and there was lots and lots of wealth and lots and lots of sin. It seems like those things go together in that city. There was not a canal there. Nero had tried to cut that canal. Look at it on your map in the back of your Bible, and you'll see, boy, that's a great place for a canal. And finally, a canal was placed there in the late 1800s. It was finally uh, cut there by the French, but there was no canal in Paul's time. There was, however, slaves who would drag ships on rollers across the isthmus there. There was pottery that was made in Corinth. Corinthian brass was very, very famous. The city was very cosmopolitan. It even hosted the Ismithian Games, which were held every two years in the spring at the Temple of Poseidon, and that was a huge draw. There were games in music and oratory and drama and athletic contest. In fact, Paul seems to have been there in a year that maybe hosted those games because Paul uses a lot of athletic imagery in his writings to the church at Corinth. The city had two theaters. One of those theaters could seat 18,000 people. And it was, as I said, very famous for just being morally lax. This is the Las Vegas of New Testament times. Oftentimes you will hear that there were a thousand temple prostitutes kept in Corinth, and that was part of the debauchery and the sin that went on there. That seems to be later on uh, after Paul's time, but there is no question there was a lot of temple prostitution, and a lot of that kind of sexual immorality was going on. Even if there were not officially 1,000 temple prostitutes, it was a moral cesspool. And Paul tries to establish a church. He does establish a church there, and now he tries to help that church. This is really the place where we want to pause and think about Paul's mindset. We are getting into the nitty-gritty of New Testament Christianity here. Paul goes places, and yes, he gets persecuted, but that's not the emphasis in 1 Corinthians. The emphasis in 1 Corinthians is that church needs to get some things together. That church needs to stop doing some things. It needs to start doing some other things. That church needs to fix it. And that's the theme. That's what I'm going to use as my theme. One of our questions is, how does our reading today develop or emphasize the central theme in this epistle? And the central theme that I'm using in 1 Corinthians is simply fix it. Get this fixed. Church can't be doing that. Christians don't act this way. Quit doing that. Stop doing this. Fix it. That's my theme for the epistle to the Corinthians. This is a church that has Jews and Greeks. It's got tension as a result of that. They need to fix that. They've got division going on. They need to fix that. They don't understand about spiritual gifts. Fix it. Get it fixed. Probably the theme verse is 1 Corinthians 1.11. It has been reported to me by Chloe's people. There is quarreling among you, my brothers. It has been reported by Chloe's people. Paul has heard from 
Chloe's folks, and they are telling him about the problems going on in that church, and he writes a fix-it letter. That is what Corinthians is all about. Now, let's give attention then to the first nine verses that we're reading here on Tuesday. Very standard greeting, not anything out of the ordinary here. Paul called by the will of God to be an epistle of Christ Jesus. Probably the thing to notice here in this opening is how much emphasis there is on Jesus Christ. Paul talks about Jesus over and over again. By verse 10, Jesus has been mentioned 10 times. And he does say, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth. And church here is that word ecclesia. That is the word that was used in the Old Testament. The Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint uses ecclesia to refer to Israel, the congregation of God's people. So the church is now the new Israel of God, the new ecclesia. And maybe the thing to notice all of, about all of that as we're reading in Corinthians is that Paul does not say you're not a church because you have problems. Sometimes people get discouraged. Sometimes people get unhappy. The church has got problems. Brethren are fussing. Folks aren't getting along. They get really down about all of that. And of course, that's, that's not anything to celebrate. But that's how it's always been among the people of God. We have difficulties, we have problems, we have things that we need to work out. We're going to have different maturity levels, we're going to have different economic backgrounds, we may come from different racial backgrounds, that's certainly true in Corinthians, uh, in in the writing to the Corinthians here, certainly true in Corinth. We're going to be different, and those differences can spark problems, and the book of Corinthians, of 1 Corinthians, will help us see we got to work those things out. Don't panic, it's not a perfect time to panic. This is not the time to panic at all. Let's just get it fixed. So just because a church has problems doesn't mean it's not a church. It's just a church like the church in Corinth. It's a church that needs to do some repair work, and Paul's going to help them do that. I'll see you tomorrow as we continue to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's Wednesday, and we're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 20 through the rest of the chapter as we begin reading Paul's great letters to the Corinthian church. These are important letters. We depend so much on them to understand some things about the New Testament church and how it functions, how we worship. There's just a lot here that we're going to want to make certain that we get notice of, but we are going to pay attention to Paul's mindset. And this is a great time to think about that because when you survey Corinthians and all the things that are going on, and it's a zoo, it's kind of a circus in places, notice the first thing Paul talks about is division. Division. That is number one. And he wants that fixed, and he wants that fixed right now. Very common in the New Testament world, we talked about this when we were reading Thessalonians, for traveling philosophers to come to town, marshal to themselves, gather to themselves a group of disciples, group of people who, oh, you're it. You're really the right guy. We want to follow after you. And then they blow out of town, and they leave behind kind of their little school or their little group of followers. And you're seeing that as you read today, that the Corinthians are kind of pushing Christianity into that Greek philosopher grid. This is how it works. Oh, I'm of Plato. I'm of Socrates. Oh, what are you? Oh, I'm a Paul. Um, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. Paul says that'll never work. 
That is not what Christianity is all about. It doesn't bring the wisdom of the world. It's not the wisdom of Plato, not the wisdom of Socrates. No, it's God's wisdom, and we're not going to divide up into groups. That's craziness. Can't have that. Stop doing that. Sometimes, let me just make a quick note here. Some folks have made a big play out of verse 17 and out of verse 14, where Paul says, I didn't baptize very many of you. In fact, verse 17, Christ didn't send me to baptize. There's a terrible misunderstanding about that. If you're trying to use that to blunt the force of what the Bible says in so many places about baptism, you really need to rethink what you're trying to do there. Acts 2.38, 1 Peter 3.21, all those verses, they're never going away. They're never going away. And when Paul says here, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He certainly isn't saying he never baptized or that baptism isn't important. This is a good illustration of the not but construction. You kind of want to watch for that. Man, I love this podcast because I'm able to give you uh, some additional textual notes, maybe at a, a little deeper level here. Watch for that construction where the writer will say, not this, but that. And when you have that, Jesus uses that, Peter uses that. When you have that, what you get is not that the first thing I'm saying, don't ever, don't ever do that at all. Oh, never, 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 never. It's just that's not as important as the second thing that I'm going to say. Not this, but that. The this just isn't that significant. Pay attention to the second thing. So Peter says, 1 Peter 3, 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair, putting on of jewelry and the clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Does Peter mean go naked? Nope. Don't let your adorning be external. Don't wear any clothes. No, no, no. He says that's just not as important. Don't put the emphasis on that put the emphasis on the hidden person of the heart. So Paul says, Christ didn't send me to baptize. doesn't mean baptism is unimportant. You don't need to be baptized. That's crazy. No, but to preach the gospel. The emphasis in my life is the preaching of the gospel. By the way, that's where the emphasis needs to be in our lives. God gives the increase. Paul will say that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're not here to force people into the kingdom or try to hound them or use salesmanship pressure to get people into the baptistry. That's not our emphasis. Baptism is so important, but that's not our emphasis. Our emphasis is in the preaching of the gospel. I'll give you one more note, and then we'll move on into Thursday's reading. Let me just say this. There are a couple of ways where people will try to cure the division that we see among those who are believers in the Bible, believers in Jesus today. Paul says, Christ can't be divided. We're not doing this. And people understand that division's not good. So what could we do about it? Well, we could go with the ecumenical approach where we just pretend differences are not significant. But Paul didn't do that, did he? No. Paul didn't say it's all good. You Apollosites, and you Paulites, and you Peterites, and you Christites, just, just all get along and act like it doesn't matter. Nope, that doesn't work. Or how about this? What if we construct some giant organization to rule on what's right and what's wrong and to make everybody conform? There's lots of attempts to do that. Denominational structures are done precisely to get everybody in line. We adopt a creed. This is what we believe. Sign on the dotted line. This is what you got to say. This is what you got to believe. Paul doesn't say that either. What will break division and break it down and end it is when we do what Paul tells the Corinthians to do, we prioritize our relationship in Christ, and particularly when we prioritize the Scriptures. If everyone will have the right attitude toward the Bible, we're going to do what the Bible says, 
I'm going to study the Bible. I care about the Bible and the Bible alone. When we all take that attitude, that's going to go a long way toward curing division. And that's the attitude that Paul wants the folks in Corinth to take. He wants them to listen to his teaching. That'll cure the divisions that they are experiencing. So there we go. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 20 for Wednesday. I think I said through the end of the chapter. That's not right. The end of the chapter is tomorrow. I'll see you on Thursday, and we will complete 1 Corinthians chapter 1. See you tomorrow. It's Thursday, and we're finishing 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Heavy emphasis here on wisdom and the wisdom of God. And Paul says there's going to be people who get it, and then there's going to be people who just don't get it because they're looking for the wrong thing, or they're trying to make the gospel into the wrong thing. We really need to think about that a lot, particularly with our American ideas of Christianity or our American ideas of what the church ought to be doing. Are we ready to go back to the Bible, let the apostles, let Jesus tell us what Christianity really is to be and what it is to be all about. The foolishness of God, verse 25, is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. God's ways are always best. God on his worst day is better than we are. The gospel is not just another philosophy of men. It's the power of God into salvation, but we have to let the gospel be the gospel, not try to adapt it into some kind of Greek philosophical framework, not have to try to try to make it into some kind of Jewish sect, and we can't be making it into some kind of American political appeal or into some kind of American fun and games where... The church provides all the great things that I want to be doing with my family. No, the gospel needs to be about the power of God unto salvation. That's what this is all about, and that's where Paul puts the emphasis here. I am going to give you a quick note. I'm just going to keep saying this all through the year because this happened to me when we were reading in Thessalonians. I had said in January that one of the things that we could do to make our Bible reading more significant is to listen to it, get the sound files, or go to a sound, go to BibleGateway.com, for example, go to a website that has audio for the Bible and listen to it. And I realized as we were in Thessalonians that I hadn't done that, and so I cranked up Bible Gateway and said, "Hey, you know what? I'm just going to listen to this," and it was just, it's just a different experience for me because. When I read Corinthians, when I'm reading Thessalonians, when I'm reading Ephesians, I am Paul. I am reading this as if I wrote this. It's harder for me to flip it around and be the person that Paul is addressing. I sit in the narrator's chair when I'm reading it. That's just the natural natural occurrence as we do this kind of reading. We sit with the author. But when it is read to you, then all of a sudden you're sitting in the audience, and Paul's talking to you. And that's how the Corinthians would have received this message, and I need to think about that. And one of the good ways to get in touch with that is by listening to this material. It's not very long. I think sometimes listening to like 18 chapters could be difficult. Some people can do that like when they drive, they're on vacation. But this is a short reading. Just plug it in and see what you get out of that you'll be amazed. All of a sudden, you're changing chairs. You're sitting in a different place. You are listening to Paul, and you're being instructed by Paul as you sit with your Corinthian brethren and hear what he has to say. Hope that's a good tip for you. I'll see you tomorrow. We're starting chapter two. 
It's Friday and you made it through the week. Let's do our Bible reading today from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. This is Friday's Bible reading. Paul continues to develop the idea of the wisdom of God and he pushes that idea in our reading today by talking about how he did not operate, he did not do like these philosophers do where it's all about their eloquence, it's about their flowery speech, it's about their clever wordplay. No, instead... His speech, verse 4, was in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power, so that your faith, verse 5, might not rest in the wisdom of men. Great application here. This does not mean that we don't want an eloquent preacher, uh, someone who can put together an English sentence uh, in a good way, which I don't seem to be able to do right now. Uh, We're looking, though, for someone in the pulpit who can be organized, who can be structured, who can be persuasive. That's all fine. Paul's not saying in any way that that's wrong. And we see places in Acts where Paul is extremely persuasive. I'm thinking about Acts 17 when Paul was preaching in Athens. But that's not the emphasis. That's not what is important. What is important is the message of the gospel. And we need to make certain we don't let the tail wag the dog. And I think I've seen that sometimes. I've seen speakers that are really entertaining. Maybe they're funny. They have a lot of cute stories. And the result of that is the audience finds them easy to listen to. And people say, boy, I love that preaching. But sometimes there wasn't a lot of preaching. There was just a lot of entertainment. There was a lot of funny stories. That's not preaching. What we want to do is we want to get the skill of public speaking and make it the slave of the message of God. I have this great message. I have these things from God to tell you, and I'm going to do that in the best way, in the most persuasive way, in the most urgent way, and I'm going to illustrate that in the best way so that you can understand it. All of that is great, but I'm not going to let the tail wag the dog. Carson is at my feet as I'm recording this, and he's snoozing away. Can't let the tail wag the dog. The the important thing is not that I was entertained by this speech. The important thing is that I heard the gospel and was drawn closer to God, became more like Christ, understood better what I needed to do to serve God, came to the point of repentance. That is what matters. And Paul is emphasizing that in the first five verses. Then he begins to talk about where he got this wisdom from. And that wisdom comes... That wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery. Remember, mystery in Paul's writing refers to something that we would never figure out on our own without God telling us. And he says, I got my message from the Holy Spirit. And he'll develop those ideas more as we continue to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 on Monday. But those are the notes for Friday. Thanks for reading the Bible with me this whole entire week. I'll be home from the gospel meeting in Sinton, and I'm certainly looking forward to being back in the pulpit with you on Sunday. I certainly do appreciate you listening to the Monday Morning Coffee podcast. Don't forget to subscribe or follow, to rate and give a review of the podcast so that more people will find it and listen to it. If you have a friend who's interested in reading the Bible, this is an excellent resource to share with them so that they can read the Bible and make sense of what they're reading. So until Monday, I hope your coffee will be delightful. I hope your Friday is blessed and it starts a great weekend that will include worshiping God on Sunday. And I'll see you on Monday with an open Bible and a cup of coffee. See you then.
Thanks for listening to the Westside Church of Christ podcast, Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. For more information about Westside, you can connect with us through our website, justchristians.com, and our Facebook page. Our music is from Upbeat.io. That's Upbeat with two P's, U-P-P-B-E-A-T, where creators can get free music. Please share our podcast with others, and we look forward to seeing you again, with a cup of coffee, of course, on next Monday.